Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, December 4th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and then click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 to 3. Some very familiar verses, I hope. Um, and while you're turning there, announcement, I want to make sure with, with Michael's dad's memorial today, um, I know it's been announced, it's been sent out, but the memorial is at 3 o'clock at Charity. And then the visitation is before that, starting, what, 145? Starting at 1. Okay, so from 1 to 3 is visitation, and then 3 o'clock is the memorial service over at Charity Baptist. I'm going to read from Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the sermon of my title, the title sermon. And it's a two-part sermon this week and next week. We will get through these three verses. And I'll go ahead and tell you today, I have so many applications, but we will not get to them today. They'll be next week because the Lord's Supper will be be our primary application. Um, But the, the name of the sermon is The Effects of Faith in the soul of the Christian. Um, so what, what does faith look like in this passage? I don't think this passage necessarily defines faith for us, but it, it goes a long way. And so the, the effects of faith in the, in the soul of the Christian. Let me read verses 1 to 3. Now faith, and this is the ESV that I'm reading from, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you've got some other translations, you may have, now faith is the substance, which I believe is the better translation, and we'll get into that. But verse 2, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you again this morning with these words in front of us, just knowing how great you are and how mighty you are and how good you are and how gracious you are to us. And here we have another day. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, even, and we know that, and even this morning as as I confess my sins, um, and, and as many of us here do every day, we look unto Christ who covers our sins. We would be lying if we said we do not sin, but we do. And we have an advocate. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who now sits at your right hand after making purification for our sins, as as we so often repeat this verse from Hebrews. So, Father, today we come with these words. We pray that you would give us help. May Jesus increase. May we decrease. May he be more beautiful to us. Work, Father, in spite of us, in spite of me, and I pray that, that your name would be made great, that we would understand just a little bit more about faith, and how it looks forward to your promises, and that as we remember today our Lord's death, particularly in the Lord's Supper, help us, we pray. We are at your mercy always. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. 
So today we come to the most important topic of faith. So you might ask, well, why is faith so important? Look over at chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So our only hope in this life and the life to come, this life puts us to the life to come, but we will not have faith there. We will have sight. But our hope in this life is that, that God would find pleasure in us because without faith, it's impossible to please God. <clears throat> There's nothing more important. Look back at chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, which is the opposite of having faith, to turn away, my soul has no pleasure in him. So in some way, we're going to see this next week particularly, <clears throat> God is pleased with the one who has faith. Now the world's languages and cultures use the word faith. Everybody has the word faith or belief in their language in the world. And it, it means a lot of things. In a manner of speaking, everyone has faith in something or in someone. And many people claim to have faith in God. But this, do, this does not mean that everyone has true faith or faith that, that saves, faith that this text is talking about here. In the context of the Hebrews, as, as our author was writing to them, many were shrinking back, were turning away, and they were going back to the old Mosaic law and that system of worship, which in that system, the, the, the sacrificial system there after the coming of Christ Christ fulfilled all of that. So going back to that, there was no sacrifice for sins. And they still said, and they still, even the Jews today, they, what do they do? They believe in God. And doesn't the Bible even say that the demons believe in God? Yet they shudder in fear. But this kind of belief, this kind of faith is not a faith that saves. It is not the kind of faith that brings down the pleasure of God upon the person. Therefore, it's of utmost importance to us <clears throat> that we understand the nature of saving faith from this passage. Now, again, our text doesn't tell us everything um, about faith, but... It tells us enough that we might be able to see certain effects that come down to us. So let me, let me go ahead and give you the four effects. And we're only going to do one today. One today. But here's the four. First effect, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's right from the text. That's, that's all we're going to talk about today. Two, faith is the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Three, faith elicits the pleasure of God. And for faith is understanding. So to have faith, real faith, he's talking about here, is to understand. And we'll cover again those next week. So let's, let's talk about this one thing today. Here it is again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so before looking at the nature of faith, though, before considering this as substance, let's, think, let's look forward in the text just for a moment. In these verses... And in the Bible in general, faith is connected to something future. That's really clear in this text. 
something that is yet to happen. And so it's future. And as people of faith, what do we wait for? And the Bible also uses the word hope. It's different from faith, but we have hope for what? Something that will happen one day. And so our hope in this text is very clear. Our hope is in the promise, promises of God. In other words, God has promised to do something that is yet future for these Hebrews, Christians, and for us. Promises there. I'm going to do something in the future. So think about it like this, kids. If you look up here at me and you think about your parents, have they ever promised to take you out for your birthday? Or said, you know, your birthday's coming up. We're, we're going to take you out. We're going to go wherever you want to go. We're going to get something to eat, whatever you want to eat. And they, in, the, in, in, a, in this kind of a way, they make a promise that they're going to do that. And then what happens? For the next week or so, or whatever time period it is, you wait. But you know that the restaurant and the good steak or the food or whatever you got coming up, it's coming in the future. And so you're waiting for it. But you know what? That's okay. And there's a great expectation, isn't there? Because, hey, it's coming Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Fr Friday's come. We're going out. And that's what we're going to do. And there's great expectation. And there's great assurance. Because, you know, your parents... You, you trust them, and you know that they're not going to lie to you, so they've told you the truth. So therefore, you wait with endurance. You wait for a kid. A week is a long wait, but you wait patiently for it. So in the same kind of way, this is what we do as Christians. We wait. It's constant waiting now. As long as faith is the means that God has provided and created and given to us looking forward, where one day we will have sight, faith, <clears throat> we wait by faith for all that God has for us in his promises in the future. So if we consider some verses that would prove this in the Bible, think of Psalm 119, verse 116. The psalmist says, probably David, but he says this, Uphold me according to your promise. In other words, what I'm going through in life right now, I need to be upheld. So therefore, uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. So that's the, that's the principle we're looking at. Looking forward to God's promise helps us now, as we look forward by faith, helps us now to live. When Paul was on trial in front, of, in front of King Agrippa, which many of us in home group have been going through that, and you've been there, you're almost there. Here's what he says. He says, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by, my God, by God to our fathers. Now he's speaking more specifically about just the coming of Christ and the, and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, but he's saying, that's why I stand on hope. I mean, I'm standing on trial right now because of my hope in the things that God promised to my fathers in Christ. In Paul's letter to Titus, he says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And here, here's the kicker, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies promised before the ages began. Now look over at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? 
for he who promised is faithful. So, and even last week, if you were here last week, we saw <clears throat> that the context of this passage, this pastor writing to these Hebrews is wanting them to endure. How much do we need endurance? We need it, and we need patience to endure in this life. And in this, as we just keep moving through Hebrews, now it gets a little more specific. So to have faith is to endure in the, in the midst of life struggles and hardships and persecutions. And why do Christians, Christians endure? Why do we endure? Because of faith. Now, we could, we could say that other ways as well, but in our context, it's because of faith. Faith in God's promises. And faith looks forward to God doing what He says and fulfilling them one day. These are the things hoped for. Now, <clears throat> let's go back to our truth now. In verse 1, some translations say that faith is the confidence or the assurance of things hoped for. If you've got the ESV... Um, maybe the NIV, you have that translation. Even I think the, uh, the NRSV also would have that translation. <clears throat> and you know what? This is certainly true. And there's great debate there as I, as I studied that. <clears throat> because, but when we think about this, 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 verse, this verse, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, this is true. Because the one who trusts in God's promises has assurance. Kids, you have assurance that what you're parents said it's true so therefore there's assurance we have assurance because of our faith the person of faith prays like this this is what Paul says in second Timothy I am not ashamed for I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me I think of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego <clears throat> they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar they were ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace and, and, and perish there and die there. And as they were there, Nebuchadnezzar stood before them and he said to them, Bow down, worship the golden image, or you will be thrown into the furnace. And what did they say? They said, If this be so, in other words, if you throw, throw us in there, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. So they knew that God would deliver them either through death there or without death. But here's the kicker. But if not, in other words, if we die in that, physically in that furnace, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image. So, and you know, we all know the story. They were thrown in and they did not die. And there was another angel there, a person walking with them. And God did deliver them. And Nebuchadnezzar worshipped as well after this. But do you hear the assurance, the confidence in their voice as they were trusting in, not that just that God would save them now, but if you read all of the Bible, in the Old Testament, they're all looking forward to promises to come. These were men of faith. So to look forward to the promises is to have faith. And true faith, faith that believes in the promises of God, waits in this life with great assurance <clears throat> for the things hoped for. Now, I do believe this word here in verse 1, again, it, it, 
It can have this, this meaning of assurance and conviction. And I think that, that assurance and, and faith go together. We cannot separate faith from assurance. But I believe that assurance is a result of faith. And here the text says faith is. And so I believe assurance is a result of faith. Therefore, I believe the better translation of this word is substance. It is in the Greek, it is hypostasis. If you've got the King James Version there, that's the, that's the translation we see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is not merely assurance or confidence, which very well could be in the meaning. It could be both. In fact, it is both. We're not wrong for preaching either because both are true in the Scriptures. But again, I believe the better translation is substance. So, so what does this mean? How can faith be called substance or be called a substance? Because we all would agree that faith in and of itself, you can't see it. It's kind of like love um, or hope or grace or mercy. We just don't see it in and of itself. Yet the Bible says that faith is something the believer possesses faith. It's ours. It's mine. Did we not just sing this song? Jesus is what? Is mine. Now we're going to get to that later, how faith gets to Jesus. But in the same kind of way, faith in the Bible is, it's, it's a possession. It belongs, this kind of saving faith belongs to the person. Now, I must admit to explain this is very difficult. It's probably very obvious. But the Bible speaks to the fact that faith often belongs to us. Jesus, many times, when he sees someone who is getting ready to be healed or comes to them to be healed, what does he say? Your faith has healed you. Or I see your faith. <clears throat> or sometimes lack of faith. Um, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil, he said to her, after he said, your sins are forgiven, but he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. You know the next bit? Our faith. Faith is a real possession. And though we cannot see it, for the Christian, faith is a substantial, present reality in the soul. It is ours. And faith, here's what faith does. Faith grabs hold of, lays hold of God's promises. That's what faith does. As if they are already present with us. Here's what A.W. Pink says. He's concerning faith, grabbing hold of God's promises, and they being ours already now. He says, crediting the sure testimony of God, in other words, we can trust God, resting on His promises, and expecting the, the accomplishment of them, faith gives the object hoped for at a future period a present reality and a power in the soul, as if already possessed. For the believer is satisfied with the security afforded and acts under the full persuasion that God will not fail in his engagement. So in some way, shape, or form, promises are there 
God's given them to us. Faith looks to them, holds on to them as if they are ours now. Now, let me try to give a, again, I'm, I'm having a hard time with illustrations, but I don't know about you, but I like bacon. Does anybody in here like bacon? We like bacon. And growing up, my parents often cooked bacon for us. In fact, I cooked bacon on Saturday. I did two pounds of it, and it was great. But I, I'm thinking back to my childhood. Often my mother or my dad or whoever would, <clears throat> they would cook up the bacon in the kitchen. I'd be back in the bedroom, though, away from them with my door closed. And I'd wake up, and what do you, what do you smell? There's a reason we have that saying, wake up and smell the bacon. Well, I woke up often, and I could smell the bacon. I was laying there in my bed, door closed, but they're down in the kitchen cooking the bacon. And from my bedroom, as I was there, I was waiting, okay, just a few more minutes to get down. I knew it wasn't ready yet. But as I waited from my bedroom, I had great confidence that in just a few minutes, I was going to sit down and enjoy the actual eating of that bacon. And in some way... I knew that the, that the bacon, it was physical, already there in the kitchen. I knew the bacon was, was in my house, was already mine as my parents were preparing it. So in my mind, it was already there, you know, because bacon has such a strong smell. You can almost taste it through the smell anyway. Now, this is not a perfect example for sure because we're looking at something that is supernatural. But in the same kind of way, we see... We see as Christians the promises of God. We know that, 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 that heaven and the heavenly city and you know, all the things that, that await us in the scriptures are there. And by faith, the promises of God are a present reality. And so this is what faith does. And I know it's a bit subjective. I know it's a bit mystical here. But I think this is why faith can be called a substance. It is a present reality in the soul. Now, one of my favorite commentators um, is John Owen on the book of Hebrews. If you're going to read one of his works, I've got 16 of his works plus seven volumes of Hebrews. But if you're going to read one thing, grab Hebrews and just read it because it gets everything in there. And I think he wrote it later on in his life. But in his commentary on this passage, he gives a certain number of ways that faith is a present reality or a substance in the soul as it looks forward to the promises of God. So let me, I'm going to give four of them to us this morning. Here's one way that faith looks to the promises and then makes them ours even now as we look forward. This is what faith does. So here's one way. Faith mixes itself with the promises. In other words, faith, the promises of God are like a, a mixing bowl. If I'm going to make cookies, I'm going to put in the eggs and the milk and the sugar, and the baking powder, whatever, and I'm going to put them in the mixing bowl and I'm going to mix them around so that they all, you can't get them apart then. They are together. In the same kind of way, I think faith is mixed with the promises of God in the bowl so that we cannot separate them. They're connected. So it's a present reality as we look forward to that one day. We cannot separate them. Another way of saying this is to say that we don't 
merely receive the promise. We receive the things promised. So it's not like as if God says, I promise, but it's what comes after the promise. I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. I promise Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is a promise, and I will come back to where you are and take you to where I am. The promises of God are coming down. So faith grabs hold of those promises and hangs on. And so another way I think of, of, of saying this is to say <clears throat> that faith in the promises and the things promised are connected together like a rope. So think about a rope. At the bottom of the rope is the, let's just say it's a three-foot piece of rope here, bottom, top. The bottom of the rope, we might say this is the word of promise from, the God, from God. The top of the rope are the actual things that he promises. And then the rope itself would be faith. They are connected together, entwined together, so you cannot separate them. So in this way, both the promise and the things promised are tied to faith. Think of Abraham, our example, in example in chapter 11. God promised, he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great land. Then he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great people. Okay? These are, these are promises, and they're specific promises that Abraham was looking forward to. Well, let me ask, did, did the land come? in Abraham's lifetime. Well, he, he had some, some land there where his family lived, but did the land come in the way God promised? No, it did not come. Did, did, did the big family come? Well, Abraham ended up with a pretty big family, physical family, and then as we go on down through the, his lineage there, but did the family and the greatness that God promised come to him? No, did not. Now, he did, like I said, he did have some land. He had, he had big family. But what did he do in the process? Remember from last week, he lived by what? Faith in the promises of God, trusted God to do what he, he said. And so look over at chapter 11, verse 10 of Hebrews. <laughs> what was he looking forward to? He was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So he was looking forward to another city that would come later, and we, we will see that in Christ. But faith mixes with the promises so that we keep going, okay? And it is a present reality for us now. It is a substance. That's one way. Another way that uh, Owen gives faith gives to the soul a taste of their goodness. It's like the bacon. <laughs> My soul, I can, I've, I can taste it. Even before I've actually eaten it, but it is there, and it gives it to my soul. That So I'm just salivating with, with, with the bacon that is coming. And that's what the Christians do. That's what Christians do. We, it's like we've tasted it. By faith, that's the key. We've tasted it, and so therefore, we know the promises are coming. We know we're going to have those things one day. First Peter 2, 
verse 3 says that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Wow. Well, we could get into a lot there. How can we taste and see the Lord is good? God is spirit. We learned that in our catechism. Well, we know that that's why he sends Christ to is incarnate but that's another another thing we'll remember in a moment but I must admit that as I consider the non-christian world they have a hard time believing God is good do they not in fact if you press them to it and, and you were to even tell them and remind them of all the evil things that are going on in the world they're gonna have a hard time seeing that and they're probably gonna say you know what if if I ran my house my good house like that then God is not so good. That's what the world says. But by faith, brothers and sisters, Christians, we taste and we know that the Lord is good. And if the Lord is good, so are his promises to us. And by faith, we feed on God's promises. We're going to look at some of those next week. But let me move on to another way that, that Owen gives us that faith is a substance in our life third way and I've got four by the way faith gives an experience of their power as they transform us so faith works powerfully in the soul of the believer and it works in us as we look to God's promises again there's the rope we're here faith is the rope promise has been given the word of God and then there's the promises at the end that's what we do and that faith faith holds us to those things so faith gives an experience of power and it works in us as we look to God's promises chapter 11 we're going to get there speaks of men and women of faith that overcame great obstacles in their life it is the hall of faith we sometimes call it and some were killed some were not, but all of them lived with much great difficulties and hardships and persecutions. Why did they do that? Why did they still believe? Why do they say, no, the, the world is evil. I'm not going to believe in such a God. Why do they keep going? Because in some way, as they looked to God's promises in the future, faith was a present power in their souls to keep them going. This is the context of this, not, not the, just the Bible, but the book of Hebrews. He is saying, be patient, endure, live by faith, look to the promises of God. So let me ask you, do you think that I or you would keep going in this life if faith were not working in such a powerful way? The non-Christian doesn't understand this. If you are not a Christian here today, you do not understand this. But if you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 or 40 years, you're still wondering, why am I still moving on? Why am I still going? Why am I still moving toward heaven? We can give a lot of reasons, but it is the power of God working through faith. And all the doubts come. And all the things in your life come and the sickness and the death and the, everything that's going on and all of the, the, the injustice in the world. And you say, all of these go against me thinking that God is good. But Christian, why are you still here? 30, 4, why are you still fighting, fighting against sin? Why do you do that? Why are you faithfully enduring? It is because 
Faith is working powerfully in your life. Fourth way. Faith communicates to us the first fruits of the promises. In other words, the promises of God exist in us as first fruits. And so you're like, what in the world do I mean or does John Owen mean by how is faith a first fruit? So what's a first fruit? Well, I think of my tomatoes. First of the year, you get the big tomato. You wait for it and you get it. And so when you get it, it's big, it's red, it's juicy. But what does it tell you? More is coming. The rest of the garden, the other, I don't know if, how many you plant. If you got 10 of them, the other nine plants, they're coming. And they're going to put on. So you got that first fruit, whatever it is. And it tells you and it reminds you, and it's in your possession, that the rest of those tomatoes are coming. You look forward to that season. Well, this is what faith does in us. As faith looks forward to God's promises. I know more is coming. That's what faith says. Now, let me, let me say, let me ask a question. How does this happen? How does faith work in such a way? It happens by the Spirit. This is very important. I haven't even yet in this passage spoken of the power of the Spirit in this sermon. But the reason faith is powerful is because faith comes to us by the Spirit. It is a great gift of power. We believe faith, the Bible teaches faith is a gift, and it is a gift of power. Look at 2 Corinthians. Well, if you want to turn it, you can just listen to me read. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22, says this. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Well, what is this anointing? And who has also put his seal on us. Well, what is this seal? And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So that tomato is a guarantee. The rest is coming. So God gives us, Christians, the spirit. Great, powerful, which is the Holy Spirit. As a first fruit that guarantees that all the promises God has said in his Bible in, in the yet future will come true and they will happen. So we might say the Spirit is the first fruit that guarantees all the promises of God's garden for us in the future. Brothers and sisters, one of the best things about being a Christian is that God will do good to you if you're in Christ, if your sins are forgiven, forever. Forever, he will do good to you. And his purpose is to do good to you. And if you could imagine God having the garden of the universe, it is yours in Christ. And the reason we know it is ours is because of this wonderful thing, thing, this, the effect of this of faith powerfully working in us. Otherwise, we couldn't really speak of faith as a substance. Owen says this, 
The Spirit is the seal, the earnest, and the pledge of present grace and future glory of all the good things that we might hope for. So wherever the Spirit dwells, there is a present subsistence of all things hoped for. There's the substance. I think of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 9. Listen to these words very carefully. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure. I think we could put in there a lot of things, all of the things that God has in us working powerfully now. But we have this treasure. There's a treasure for the Christian within us in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If you think you can do anything on your own, you are mistaken. Because the just shall live by faith. That's what we do as Christians. Jesus says, without me you can do what? Nothing. And so, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, how are you going to make it through this life? When everybody else is thinking, all the world is going, what in the world? Why are they so patient? Why are they so kind? Why do they endure when their family is suffering and they've got this loss in their life or they've got this anxiety that's going on or this depression or they're being persecuted or they've lost their job. Why? Because God has put his power in us that we would keep going. Now the rest of this verse tells us we are afflicted in every way. Are you afflicted this morning? Whatever that means are things coming to you in hardships. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Are you perplexed this morning about what's going on in your life? Maybe so, but you, if you are a Christian and you're living by faith and the, and the, and the, and the work of the Spirit is in your life, then you are not perplexed to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. God, one of God's great promises to Israel and to the church and to all of his people is that I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. These verses, I could go on and on, but at the end here, he says, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I know this has been a lot. This is normally where I would then go into all of these applications, which are coming next week. So we'll reiterate this a little more next week, and it hopefully it'll make more sense. And I know there's been a lot um, on this truth that faith is a substance, something that we actually possess, and it holds the promises of Christ or the promises of God. And again, we'll see this next week. But I've left out the very most important part, truth about faith. It's because focusing in on this one part. But at the end of the day, what, is, what does faith ultimately do? It doesn't just look to the promises. Well, they're mixed together. But what is the greatest fulfillment of God's promise? Who is the fulfillment of God's promise? It is Christ. And as we take the Lord's Supper, that's what we are doing. The object of our faith is 
the promise of Christ. Now we live on the other side. We're looking back to the cross. Abraham looked forward to the cross, but even these Christians here, we're looking back upon the cross, but they're looking forward to the ultimate promises of God to be fulfilled. But faith looks to Christ, and this is very important. In Christ, all God's promises are fulfilled. So in other words, it's not as if we have Christ and then God's promise comes to us from another road or another way or another religion or another faith or another way of believing. All God's promises come to the one who has faith in the person of Christ. Look over with me, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's kind of hard to preach just one verse because we don't get the applications. But look over at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. After speaking here in, in chapter 11, and we'll get up to all these people of faith, what does he say? Therefore, as looking at their example and understanding what faith is, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This is application for us. And let us run with endurance. Again, there's the context. Run with endurance. The race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At the end of the day, to have faith is to believe in the Son of God, and knowing that all of God's promises find their fulfillment in him. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 20, we were just there a minute ago, says this, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. And here's the kicker. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. If we think of all of God's promises, not one of them are in our possession, not one of them come to us by faith if God does not send the Son. That's why to the world all roads lead to God. They do not. They do not at all. And particularly for us today, we remember this when he says, my body is broken for you. And we know that none of God's promises can ever come down to us without the cross. Why? Because as sinners, as those who have broken God's commands, have fallen short of God's glory, and do not deserve any of the good promises, the, first, the, the latter fruits of God's garden, we do not deserve those in and of ourselves. The only thing that awaits us outside of Christ is, is death, and separation from God, God's wrath forever. And that's We've seen that back here in Hebrews 10, very serious words. We know that. But for the Christian, if you are a Christian today, the cross is the place where the love of God 
and God's commitment to carry out his promise to save you, to save his people, is displayed. And this we remember this morning in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read from Isaiah 53 to prepare us as we think about all of God's promises coming down to us in Christ by faith in Him. Isaiah 53, verse 10, just 10, 11, and 12. Still my favorite verse probably is verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, the pleasure of the Lord to crush the Son. That's what it's saying here. He has put him to grief. God put him to grief. This is the cross. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. Brothers and sisters, we are guilty sinners. But the one who was not guilty, the sinless one, the sinless son, the sinless man, lived a perfect life and he laid down his life as a sin offering, as a guilt offering, as we've been seeing all through Hebrews. He shall see his offspring. <laughs> In other words, the work of Christ is going to produce a clear and sure offspring. This is the elect of God. These are the people of God. These are those who believe, these, those who receive him, those who follow him. Lots of ways we can say this. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God's will is going forth on this earth because of the person and work of the Son. Verse 11, and out of the anguish of his soul. Our, our Lord had anguish in his soul as he thought about the cross and as he thought about laying down his life, particularly not just the physical death, which he thought of as a man, but particularly, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thinking about the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve would fall upon him. So out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. <laughs> By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And we're going to see this next week. By faith, we are justified. By faith, we are commended to God. By faith, God looks down upon us and says, I am pleased with you. Well, that will happen, but that's right here in this verse as well. And he shall bear their iniquities. If you are a Christian today, the Son has borne your sins on the cross. And this we remember. Verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. Wow, we are co-heirs. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. What is Christ's is ours. Now, there's that faith looking forward to all of that. One day as we shall see, one day by sight and faith will be no more. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. As Christians, we are the strong. And he divides the spoil out to us by the Spirit. All of his good gifts come down. All of his promises have come down to us. Present reality. It's amazing to be a Christian. Because he poured out his soul to death, was numbered with the transgressors. There's the... the the death of, of Christ on the cross that we remember that he took our sins. He was, God looked at him as if he were one of us, even though he had no sin. And he gives us his righteousness and we give him his sin and we give him our sin. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. So this morning, 
faith, as we take the Lord's Supper right now, real, visible elements, as, we, as, as Caitlin made the bread, I'm, I think, and there it is, real bread, real juice. This pictures for us the reality of God and His promises in Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. And we do this as a church till He comes. With Christ as the Word, the Word of God even as Hebrews speaks to us back in chapter 4, He is the substance of all of God's promise, promises and our faith is connected to Him through whom all the promises come. This is the great mystery of our union with Christ. Faith is the beautiful gift, which we'll see that next week, the gift of God created for this purpose. That is what faith is given for it to us for. That's it. To connect us to Christ, that we might get all the promises and all the blessings. That's it. That's it. That's, and it, I, it's such a mystery, but I think about it often, that God created faith, a substance present with us by the Spirit. Who could think up such things? Who could do that but God? And we will do this and we will remember this until He comes again. Let's pray together and then, and then I'll lead us in, uh, in the Lord's Supper. If Blaine, if you want to go ahead and make your way on up. Um, if you are a, a visitor with us, and uh, we, do have op we do practice open communion in the sense that um, if you are a baptized believer in Christ, welcome to come. We'll do it as we normally have done. I guess we've added a middle row now, Blaine. So you guys just use your brains to figure out which, which rows you go with. We can do this. It's not too hard. Um, and then you'll make your way on up. So, but let's take a moment of silence just to think about the sermon and... Uh, and just can even confess our own sins in our hearts now and remember that Christ died for our sins. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again this morning for these words. <clears throat> Still, in some ways, very mysterious, but I hope in some little way that We've thought a little bit more deeply about faith and how it is a substance in our hearts that connects us to your promises and not just your promise, but the, the things that will be fulfilled one day. And Father, we know that all this comes down to us in Christ. We know that uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old have passed away and, and all things have become new. So we give thanks. And we pray that you would help us increase our faith even now, that we might love Christ more, that we might be more aware of our own sin, that we might renounce ungodliness and work very hard to, to put on Christ and to take off and put off other sins and things that so entangle us, Father. But Father, at the end of the day, right now, no matter where we're at in our faith and where we are, we know that Christ has died for our sins, and this we remember as Christians. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church 
China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.